So at 645, I would like you to uh, open your Bibles. We're going to look at the scripture, then we're going to have a time of prayer tonight, okay? Uh, I think, though, where did Younger go? Oh, he'll be back. Uh, I think that we, I don't know, I, want, I think I want our students to lean in and pray, even though they've done a terrific job playing on the instruments. I think I'd like uh, them to pray together. All right, open your Bibles, please, to the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 14. Not the whole chapter, actually, just a part of it. We're going to walk through this a little bit, and then, again, like I said, we will uh, come back and uh, have a time of prayer together before uh, we wrap up. Lord, we thank you tonight for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that there's genuine, uh, genuine hunger in the room tonight. There's genuine uh, need in the room tonight. And I pray, Lord, that, that, that whatever level of desire there is, I ask that by the, the, the Holy Spirit's uh, work on our hearts through the Scriptures, that there would be an increase in that desire. Lord, stir up in us holy affections, I pray, we pray together now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for hearing us and responding in power and in grace. In Christ's name, amen. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. Uh, not everybody in, this, in the room tonight needs me to unpack all of the context of the, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, this, this first that we have of the Corinthian correspondence. By the time we get to chapter 14, Paul is kind of toward the end of a section to the Corinthian church that is addressing them gathered for worship. So this, it's talking about like, like what we're doing now, gathered as the church, as the expression of Christ, as the believing community in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's talking to them. He's talked about a lot of things, about their conduct, about their appearance, about all that, about the Lord's table. And now he spends quite a bit of time talking about, well, what we're about to talk about. So here we get to chapter 14 and verse, verse 1. Paul says this, uh, and reading from the New American Standard, Pursue love. Yet, and that's a, that's a soft uh, conjunction there. That's not, uh, not like, but on the other hand, that's, that's kind of like and. Uh, so, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Here's our thesis statement for tonight. The Bible commands. Are you, believers, are you comfortable with the word command? We should be. Don't, that's a com- command. The commands of the Lord are for our own good and they are for lot, they are life. The, we could, I could simply use the word imperative. That's a little bit more, gram- gram- you know, like a grammar word. But it's a command. It's telling us to do something. When we, what's, the, what's the only two ways to respond to a command? Yeah or no? To, to submit or to rebel? To obey or to rebel? So what's your, that's on you. You get to choose. Okay, so we either obey or we disobey or we rebel. But here's the command. The Bible commands, and I want to say it again. Everybody say command. And I got to try to maintain some composure here. Uh, The Bible commands us to desire earnestly the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. 
That's our thesis idea for tonight. The Bible commands that we earnestly desire the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That is, His power and His influence manifest among us. That is a command. We either obey that or we don't. Not just, i got to get to it later, not just interest, not just open, not just think about, not just talk about. The command is not just be aware of it or, or, or know about it or check it off a box. The command deals with the condition of your heart. The hunger in your innermost being. God is speaking to our inner persons. And the command is desire. Everybody say desire. desire. Say it again, desire. desire. That this is, this is not merely... It's, desire isn't possible without some level of cognition, but this is not a cognitive exercise. This is not something that occurs from the collarbone north. This, this desire is something that penetrates us deep. It, mo- it moves us. Desire can move us even beyond that which seems rational to do. Desire can take over uh, our, our inhibitions and move us beyond those things. And this is what he's saying. That's why the word is, is it's zealous, desire earnestly. Burn with a fever for the manifestation of the Spirit. Right, now that I've... What's Paul talking about? Here's, we're going to ask these questions. What is Paul talking about? What does Paul say about it? Why? And then how should we respond? You ready? Let's do this. What is he talking about? Pursue love. We'll get to that at the end here. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Now, how many in your Bibles the word gifts is in italics? Anybody? Okay. In your Bibles, when there is an italicized word, does that mean that that word is more important and emphasized? (laughs) No. That means that that word is supplied by the translator to give clarification or to give understanding. So it is permissible. It doesn't always make sense to us, but, but, but it is permissible. I wouldn't scratch it out, but, you know, you could, you could, if you read it like this, desire earnestly spirituals. So what is Paul talking about spirituals? This is the word pneumatikos. Pneumatikos. You want to say it out loud? You don't have to. Pneumatikos. Okay? The pneumatikos. Now that is a, it's a, it's a neuter word. I mean, so, so it's a, it's not male, it's not female, it's a thing. It's a, but, so here's what that means. Pneumatikos, probably the most wooden thing to say would be, pneumatikos means the things of the spirit. Things of the spirit. Come on, say it out loud. Things of the Spirit. Let's put it together. Paul says, desire the things of the Spirit. This word pneumatikos, as far as we can tell in the, in the, and how, you know how words, they come into use at certain times, certain things give rise to certain phrases. Uh, like, uh, now in English, I mean, scrolling meant something, but now scrolling from the, from the last decade or so, scrolling means something else, Right? So there are words that come into use because of cultural uh, movement or phenomena, right? Certain words come into, come into play. This word pneumatikos or pneumatika 
was not a word necessarily that was in play, that was used. It wasn't a religious word. It wasn't really a cultural word, not, not, in, not in large portion. You might ask, hey, Dav, yeah, when did pneumatikos become part of the vocabulary? Hey, Dav. Oh, I'm glad you asked. Pneumatikos was not in use. It was not a, a word that was in use until after the Pentecost event. That means pneumatikos began to, ref, began to refer to those things of the Spirit that are now available, present in the church, observable things that they had begun observing in the church after Pentecost, because of Pentecost. Because of the coming of the Spirit, there were things of the Spirit happening. Expressions of the Spirit. That's a great word. Say expressions. There was one of my friends tried to argue for the word expressions here instead of manifestations. In the NLT, he tried to argue for expressions of the Spirit. I don't think he was successful, but he wanted to. Doug Ose. Pneumatikos, we're talking about things of the Spirit, and specifically things of the Spirit that began to be present and active in the church after and because of the day of Pentecost. And Paul is now coming, circle back around, Paul is saying, desire the things of the Spirit that are now available because of Pentecost. You feel that? Let's try that again. Paul is saying, desire the things of the Spirit that are now available that are now present because of Pentecost, because of the the fulfillment, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There is a new, after Acts 2, there was a massive shift on the earth. The person and work of the Holy Spirit, he is the same, but how he was present And how much he was manifest and working in and through people was radically, profoundly different. And radically and profoundly greater. A greater level of expression, a greater democratization of expression. Everything was different after Pentecost. As Paul's writing to the church, he's telling them, you need to desire these things of the Spirit that are a result of Pentecost. Now, where else is Paul? Remember when we, our, our, our hermeneutical uh, practice is to say, here's a word. Hmm, I want to make sure I get it. Where else has Paul used this word? Has he used it already? And, how, and if he has, how? And is it, does, it, does it relate? The first time, uh, I th- well, I, should, I don't know if it's the first time, but I'm fairly certain that the, one of the first times he uses this word, especially in this immediate church gathered for worship context, is... Open your, just turn your page in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. We're still trying to, we're still, we're still squeezing for what's he talking about. So far we're getting it. We understand it uh, from, the, from a dictionary or a, uh, 
uh, a glossary type of uh, context. But now, in the context of the Scripture itself, how can we narrow it down? Uh, when Paul begins to talk about the work of the Spirit in the church, he begins in Corinthians with one of his, his segue statements. If you've studied the book of Corinthians, you see that we know we did this in church. It's divided into segues statements. That is, Paul is either answering a question brought to him or responding to something he's heard about happening at Corinth. And usually those segues are marked by the phrase that sounds something like this. And now about, in other words, he's changing, not changing the subject radically, but let me, let me address this other thing. And then we have that. You, that's, that happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. Uh, here's, uh, it's per, peri means about or concerning is the, is the preposition there, P-E-R-I. Okay, so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Take a look at that. How many have your Bibles open and you see that? Okay, do you see anything similar to 14.1 there? Anybody see, the first of all, it says spiritual gifts, but does anyone see any italicized words? Once again, which, which word is italicized? Gifts, interestingly enough. So the, the first time, especially in this context, that we hear Paul talking about the pneumatica is here. This is where he introduces. now. So we can hear it this way. Now concerning, let's, let's translate it the same way we did before. Now concerning the things of the Spirit that are now present as a result of Pentecost, I don't want you to be unaware. And then he tells them how they were pagans before and how they were carried away to, to mute idols, which is, I used to think, I used to honestly think, I don't know why, why did he go off? Maybe he was just irritated. You know how we are, we just wander. And Paul was given to wander a bit. But I don't believe he was, now I no longer believe he was wandering. I believe his point was that idols can't talk. But the Holy Spirit does. That idols are mute. There's deadness, there's life, there's, but, and that, that's not just for our information. Oh, idols are mute and the Holy Spirit talks. That's supposed, that should inform our expectation. Did you, I know I don't have notes or PowerPoint, so if I say it and then it just goes away. That's not just information, that is to inform our expectation. The whole, Paul is saying, you used to be carried away at, with, with temples and idols, to I, those things were mute. And the contrast is the Holy Spirit is not mute. That's not just for us to go, aha, noted. That is for us to go, aha, I expect him to speak. I expect him to be, but, not, but speak. But not just, not, here we go, we're getting closer, but not just in a, in, with words. I expect the Holy Spirit to make himself known. This is, do you feel that? Idols, all, the, nothing. No voice, no power, no manifestation. Holy Spirit, here's the thing. Now he, after saying that, he says, he, he's again, he contrasts and he talks about the expressions of the Spirit. There are varieties of the Spirit, varieties of his ministry, varieties of effects. But now he comes back and renames. Well, honestly, he, he renames the pneumatica all from verse 4 onward. Varieties of gifts, varieties of effects. But look at verse 7. But to each one is given... 
And here's the, here's the most specific understanding of pneumatica. The manifestation of the Spirit. So, what's Paul say in 1 Corinthians 14.1? He tells us to eagerly desire the manifestations of the Spirit that are specifically now available as a result of Pentecost. He, Paul, I, he, he, he defines via contrast the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the, in the life of the body over against a lifeless idol that doesn't speak, that doesn't act, that doesn't influence, that has no expression. Over against the Holy Spirit, who he, de- who, who de- who he describes, he lists that the Holy Spirit finds varieties, almost not limited varieties of effects and ministries and gifts. But ultimately, he says, the, the, he calls all of these things the workings, the effects, the, the things that he starts off. Well, let me just hear it. Look, here, here. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. The varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So the manifestation are these gifts, these effects, these workings, these ministries are all expressions of the spirit. They are manifestations. Say it out loud. So Paul tells us then in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, that you and I should desire, eagerly desire the things of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, that, that we see here, that actually ministers to other people. So that's what he's talking about. He said, what's the, what, desire the spirituals. I don't want you to be unaware of the spirituals. So let's just put these bookends, these two bookends. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 says, I don't want you to be unaware of these spirituals, comma, but rather, jump over here, we're making our own sentence, I don't want you to be unaware, rather I want you to desire. I don't want you to be, I want you to, there's a contrast. To be unaware, of course that could mean just just simply being uninformed, but we're talking about Corinth, and it doesn't appear that they're just like, what? We've never heard of spiritual gifts. No, there seems to be that the, the, their, their uninformedness is ma- manifest in their poor attitudes or their misdirected attitudes. I know everybody wants to beat up on Corinth and say, oh, they were all about excess. Well, Paul never told them, Paul, Paul never once says, calm down with the spirituals. Never once says it. Calm down with easy, easy on the spirituals. Have a little bit less of them and some more something else. Let's have some balance. That was me looking for the word balance. It's not there. He actually forbids balance. He instructs, he corrects, he focuses. The main problem was lovelessness, which we see in Fort. Spoiler alert, we'll get there. Okay? So the corrective was not ease back on the gifts or ease back on the matter. The corrective was love. That was the corrective. So Paul, talking about these things, 
He tells them, I don't want you to be unaware. So again, if they, it wasn't that they, they had no clue. He wants, to, he wants to make sure that their attitudes, that their understanding were, were not incongruent with the will of God or the goodness of these expressions. So you could take, pick that up and take that as a principle template and set it elsewhere. We could take that up and pick it up and set it on the church in North America, a.k.a. Nazareth. The church in North America, the Nazareth of the world. The, I don't believe he can do that. Who is that? Who is that? I, know, I already know there, all there is to know about Jesus. I, I listened to B, Benjamin B. Warfield. I know, I've heard all about cessationism. Miracles stopped in the first century. I'm supposed to be suspicious of anybody who speaks in tongues. Even that there's even a, a, a recent guy. Some, he, why are people famous? Because they have a blog. I don't know. I like Matt. I'm not going to say his last name. I like Matt. I like him a lot. But the other day he decided to call tongues gibberish. So I said, see you, Matt. We're no longer friends. Because um, that's, fool- that's not only foolish, it's dangerous. And I told him. It's dangerous. Well, Paul says, I don't want you to carry the wrong attitude about these things. To Corinth, they had a wrong attitude. He wanted to fix it. To the, what, so let's, let's bring it to us. So then, what attitude... What attitude is he... Where did that come from? I don't, I don't know where that started happening. But um, uh, what then attitude is Paul prescribing? Now, that's the, the corrective is love. But there's an attitude that he describes. Let me give you a hint. It's not apathy. It's not, it's not openness. It's not caution. And again, it's not balance. It's not easy does it on the pneumatica now. Don't get carried away. Just simmer down and have just church on Red Bull. Just do your, you know, just, just have church. On do, you know, do your best with what you can do and enough, enough dry ice and spotlights and you'll have great church. Are we are we are we Ivele on the Idio Bay? Okay. I need to set up the next part with a, with a quick story, and we'll see how this goes. But I won't mention any names. Um, There's a friend of mine, I told you that uh, one time that we got a call from a, some pastors regionally who began to experience breakthrough in their church and were looking to partner with someone to kind of disconnect, you know, a hand to hold and kind of, hey, whoa, here we go, this is fun and different. And, uh, and anyway, my phone rang and they said, hi, I'm so-and-so, I heard you can help. Not that I'm an expert at all, but that they could find relationship. So we started building this relationship and, and encouraging them and things. And they're a part of a, another uh, network of churches, not a, not a different denomination, but sorry, but within the assemblies, they're a part of, an, part of another uh, grouping of churches. And that particular grouping of churches has a model, a ministry model that they like, that they prefer. You know, they have those things. There's ministry models, which means, and they, it, it actually comes like in a can. You can, 
No, you can't. And, and they work. You, you, open, you open the can, and you do this, 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 and then this happens, and Bob's your uncle. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so they have this model, and, it, and it's basically church on Red Bull. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I even, like, even the, sometimes the, the, they even have this, you know, teach through the Bible at this pace. Like, there's literally, like, you teach on a Sunday, like, they teach, like, five chapters out, out of, like, Matthew at one time. I think, yeah, that's it. I'm just like, well, I'm done. Yeah, I don't know what to do. I would just have a cognitive disorder. Um, but anyway, not to, not to just make fun of things, not to be snarky. They, what I'm saying is they have this model. And, and for them, there's a, there's a degree of effectiveness for according to their, their, their rubric. According to their rubric that they have set up, that they have said this is what success is, and their model achieves that model of success, that metric. Boop, 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 meets all the metrics. Okay. Well, then my friend, though, they began to, after church, they began to, they, they, they do church exactly the same, just like they're supposed to, singing, talking, because that's basically what church is, right? They sing, and then someone talks, and then after, they just started praying with people, and, and, and people, uh, they, people began to talk about getting healed, and then some people began to, like, uh, feel like they needed some, <clears throat> they had some unwelcome guests they were carrying, and needed those exp- uh, expelled. Okay, so they just said, all right, well, then we're just going to you know, deliver you from that nonsense and let, let that go and that spirit or whatever. And uh, the, the people began to get real breakthrough. They were on long-term medication, of course, and you get, once you get, if you can get that spirit that's harassing you, you might need less anxiety medication, that kind of stuff, right? So they're getting different levels of breakthrough. Long story short, they've been called, onto, they've been called to the carpet, and, and, and they've been talking and talking and talking, and finally, the, this, this, is it, this, this. The, the, the statement was, we're not here to question whether or not what you're doing is God, but whether or not it is our model. Now, I'm not using that example as some extreme, unusual example. And I'm not talking about whole denominations that respectfully have their own uh, that organ, they're organized around a whole other doctrinal set. I'm talking about people that supposedly sign off on things like divine healing and spirit baptism and all that. What I'm saying, friends, is that there, there is a very real gravity against desiring the pneumatica. There's a gravity in the church that continuously pulls away from what Paul prescribes here. Corinth had their issues, but if we pick up the principle, Paul, the corrective is, is, is it, the corrective is never, hey now, why don't you fix what's wrong by backing off on your emphasis of the Spirit? That's, that is not, that, that is, you, that is, people would love to make Corinthians about that. Oh, they focused too much on the Holy Spirit and Paul fixed that. Wrong. 100% error. Here it is, Paul again. What the, if that's, if the, if we, we understand what the pneumatica is, right? It is the manifestation of the Spirit. It is specifically the manifestation of the Holy Spirit that has come to the church because of Pentecost. We're all, we've done, we've done grammar, we've done exegesis. Everybody say yes. Because yes. if you disagree, you're in sad shape. You're wrong, okay? Uh, uh, but that's, we've seen it. That's what he's talking about. All right. So then what does Paul say about the pneumatica? He tells us, he tells us to desire it earnestly. The word is desire. Some of your Bibles just say desire, but the the feel or the thrust of the word has an earnestness to it. Everybody say earnest. 
See, I want you to feel that word. What does that word earnest mean? Desire earnestly. There's a fervency to that desire. It's beyond, to desire earnestly is beyond being curious. To desire earnestly is beyond being, again, open or cautious or I don't mind, you know, a little bit of that, a, a little sprinkling. Sorry, so many phrases. I know many of you have been around church for a while. You've heard so many phrases. People trying to, I don't know why. But they had, what he's, when he says desire, everybody say it again, desire. desire. He speaks to our attitude and our affections and our longings. He wants to locate in our innermost person that central core, and he wants to heat that central core with a desire for the manifestation of the Spirit. And and remember, he's not talking to people who have no idea. He's talking to the Corinthians. If he's, and if he's speaking to them, it's almost like this. I mean, I could say this, that it's just as much of a corrective. When if there's excess or if there's excess or misuse or things going on, it's just as much of a corrective to say, hey, listen, let's start at the beginning. In your innermost person, desire not a specific, not a specific manifestation necessarily. Wait for it, we'll get one. But don't like not just not to isolate one thing or another thing or a sort. Don't just highlight one thing or you know I, I you know whatever. Like I'm a I'm a tra- I'm a, I'm going to be a traveling guy who specializes in in, in dent- dental miracles. Look, I've seen them, I've heard about them, I love them. But we're not called to specialize. We are called to desire the all, all the manifestation of the Spirit Himself because the Holy Spirit is the very thing that God has been waiting to pour out and to put in His church. It is the thing that defines who you are as a Christian. You are a person of the Spirit. And, and so he says, I want you to, de- so let's start at the very thing. Desire the, the manifestation of the Spirit. And if you'll see that deep truth, you'll see that clear truth, then it will correct some of the nonsense. But this isn't even about correction, correcting nonsense. This is just about, sometimes we're at a place where the church, and we just need a defibrillator. You know, wake up out of a hypnosis that says, no, our programs are working. Our, they're not. There's a 0% increase in the, the, the number of believers in North America over the last generation. I'm not saying more people aren't saved, but in comparison to the, when you compare the growth in the, the believers to the growth in the population, there's the, the, the increase, the percentage increase is zero. We've spent billions of dollars on our best ideas. So Paul is speaking to our attitude, to our affections, to our longings. He does not prescribe for us, this is super important, he does not prescribe for us a list or a formula, nor is he inciting some sort of reward performance mentality. He does not say, Listen to me. (laughs) He does not say, listen, he does not say, deserve the spirituals. He says, desire them. 
many, many people here deserve. And they make a decision before they even open the lid. I don't deserve. So I will not open. This is not about your deservedness. This is about your need and God's desire. He wants you to desire. And again, desire is either obey or disobey. This is not, the Holy Spirit is not a reward for your good behavior. The Holy Spirit, the, let me say it more specifically, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is not a reward for your good behavior. The, nope, not there yet. People still, oh, I probably is. Nope. Nope. The manifestation, it's nowhere listed. Nowhere. The manifestation is of the Spirit is not a reward for your good behavior. It is the cause for your good behavior. It is a reward for Jesus' good behavior. Jesus paid for, prayed for, and poured this out. And having sat down at the right hand of the Father, he received the gift, the promise, and he hath poured this out, which you now see in here. It is his reward. So every time people open up their lives and submit to the blessing of the Spirit, Jesus gets what he paid for. Every time those, every time we open our lives in desire for the manifestation of the Spirit and the Spirit finds expression out of our lives in a way that ministers to others, Jesus gets what he paid for. I know we're so tempted to think, ooh, that they, they, must be, they must have said the right words in that prayer. Something happened when they prayed. Or such a, there's such a weird internal dialogue we have. And it's so none of it's relevant. He's just looking for faith. Faith acts with chutzpah based on the merits of Jesus. That's it. How dare you act like that? On the merits of Jesus. Faith has a chutzpah about it. You know what a chutzpah is? Well, you can look it up. Yeah, it just means chutzpah. It just means act like, where do you get off acting? How you, why so confident? Why so, why so bold? You could, that's, it's, let's just call it bold. When they saw the chutzpah of Peter and James, they recognized that they, you know, Peter and John, they'd been with Jesus. But it's that it's a it's a confidence, it's a boldness, it's almost a brashness, but not a, an offensiveness. Uh, uh, that but and it, but based upon not my merits, but the merits of Jesus, and that's what faith is. I come to God with a chutzpah because I'm trusting on the merits of Jesus and living that way. Desire. Desire has to do with holy affection. Desire drives real behavior you and you desire drives behavior you can behave a certain way you can fake it you can kind of force it you can kind of go through the motions but desire will act you will always i don't want to say revert 
but you will always revert to what you desire. Desire drives behavior. Paul knew that. So he does not speak to them just cognitively. He speaks to their affections. Desire the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, desire is never satisfied by completion of a list. If we reduce spirituality to a list or to a formula, then we are satisfied once we've checked all the boxes. And I'm with you. I love checking some boxes off. Ooh, look what I got done. Yay. My, my achievement needs were met for today, right? Immediate gratification. But he doesn't speak to a list that we keep. He doesn't stay step one, step two, step three, do that, and Bob's your uncle. No, he speaks to desire because desire is not satisfied until it attains the object of its desire. Desire can't be quenched. Real desire is not quenched. It doesn't, it, it doesn't know time. It doesn't know comfort. It doesn't know discomfort. It is driven by desire. Desire shifts and changes what we prioritize, what we make time for. It changes the narrative that we surround ourselves with. This is what Paul wants us to do. I, I am intentionally, I am not even trying. You do not have to. The Bible speaking for itself. It's, it is wild. It doesn't need amplification. It doesn't need modification. It is aggressive and makes wild claims. And here, at least twice in, the, in as many pages, Paul tells us, to desire earnestly these things. You say twice, yeah. In chapter 12, at the end of chapter 12 in verse 31, he says he uses the same phrase. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now you might say the greater gifts, is he, are there some list of great gifts and then not so great gifts? It seems like the context means gifts or expressions of the Spirit. He's talking in that one, he says the gifts. He means charismata. They're the same, he just uses them interchangeably. But here, these expressions of the Spirit that, would, that are the most meaningful, the most loving, the most necessary at that time, probably those are the greater gifts. Earnestly desire, but you know what? Let's just say, maybe you say, I don't like that definition. All right, let's just say, earnestly desire the most significant, powerful expression of the Spirit. Go ahead. If that you like that one, I like that one too. Earnestly desire the Holy Spirit to manifest Himself in, in and through your life in the greatest way possible. Versus simply being open or being cautious, earnestly desire. Why should we do that? Well, not that the text hasn't already made itself clear. We should do so because it is a command. We should do so because what he is talking about is without comparison. Once we have been, once we have tasted the manifestation of the Spirit, it will become impossible for us to be satisfied with less. And here's, this is not the point of the message tonight, but it's going to come out anyway since it's in there. I'm deeply concerned that there is a whole generation of leaders, perhaps my age minus within 10 years, 15 years below even, that in their lifetime they have had significant encounters with the Holy Spirit. 
And those encounters have carried them through discouragement and dark times. Those encounters have crystallized their faith and formed them deep within. But they are not passing on. They are obfuscating those opportunities from anyone that follows them. And we will not. There, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, his power and his influence as a result of Pentecost that is available to the church is priceless and it is powerful. And there is no comparison. When you compare with or without, there is no comparison. Why else? Because he evinces, he demonstrates, he manifests, really, as we said in the book of Hebrews, Elsewhere, the, the powers of the age to come. His manifestation now is a demonstration of the age to come. And it calls our hearts to trust in and look for and look toward heaven. We are people marked, stamped with eternity. His power is the evidence of eternity in our midst. And finally... Because his manifestation in our midst is a supernatural means by which we can love one another. What do you mean, Dav? Let's go back to the text. Let's answer how. How do we desire these things? Look at the text again. Here here Paul says, Pursue love, desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. I don't think he's giving a list there, but it does have a flow to it, almost like a, uh, a funnel or an inverted crescendo. So here's the top of the funnel. Pursue love. There's the, there's the not, not in Corinth, it's the, it's the corrective. For us, it's simply the directive. <laughs> it's the direction. Pursue love. Love comes from God. You know, so we, we, we're talking about the love, love of God for us, the love of God through us toward others. This, we, we pursue, we prize uh, this culture of love. We want to embrace the love of God. We want to we we lean into the river of his love for others around us. We want to be conscious of and, dis, and submit to the love of God for us and for others. You feel that? Pursue love. Love is a priority. Prioritize, pursue love, number one. Number two, as you're doing that, the, the next step then, so pursue love. If I, am, if I am embracing the love of God and I am choosing to exercise or want to show love toward others around me, the, the, the tunnel gets more focused now, the funnel gets more focused, and it's desire spirituals. The way that I, the the focus, the path that Paul prescribes for me to show love in the gathered community is to desire for the Holy Spirit to minister through me to you. And it's a supernatural means of love. And then then it gets even more focused and he says, especially that you may prophesy. Prophesy. Hey, I'm like you, perhaps. I grew up and I used to think about that. And I think, golly, because my misunderstanding of prophecy led me to think, golly, I wish you would have said, especially miracles, especially raising the dead, especially healing the sick. I like all those better. I still do. But here's why because prophecy has to do with the capstone expression, the fountainhead. Say fountainhead. 
the fountainhead expression of the Spirit. These, these are not drunk, as you suppose. These are filled with the Holy Ghost, right? Peter said, he said, This is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel in the last days, says God, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. That's the day of Pentecost. And what is the, the, what is the, the, the fountainhead expression of the coming of the Spirit? And they will prophesy, to speak. Not mute idols, but to speak. The, the fountainhead initial word to describe the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is to prophesy. It is the, it is the gateway to every other thing the Holy Spirit will do in, in, a, in a community. It doesn't have to be, but it will. It will. If you will engage and, and begin to practice this ministry, the expression of the Holy Spirit in prophecy, and, and again, we're not talking about standing up and saying, and, and, you know, d- just pre- predicting the future. There may be times where we see or have a, an, an insight into a future thing. That's entirely appropriate, but that's not even the primary ministry of prophecy. Paul tells us that he who prophesies speaks to others to encourage them, to exhort them, to comfort them. In a, and, it's, and they do so under the inspiration of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I listen to what God has to say, and I, I say what I feel the Lord is saying to this person in this moment, and I do so in a way to leave them better than how I found them. And that's why we eagerly desire prophecy, because it's always the right thing to say. There is not a time when someone could not benefit from being encouraged by what I feel the Lord might be saying to them right now. And sometimes it's very simple. And sometimes it's like, you know what I mean? Sometimes, that's what I, I, I have, you guys don't even know this, but when I say after church or after worship, and I'll say, wait, just turn around and just say something kind to someone next to you. I'm actually helping you. I'm trying to nudge you to practice very simple prophecy. Because having breathed in the presence of God, if you'll turn around and speak lovingly to someone next to you, you'll stir something up. <laughs> Always have a plan. Always a plan. Always right here. Now, prophecy can be that simple, but it can also be, and as you listen, and you listen with love, you, it will, you'll hear the Lord's, it, it could be, sometimes it can just, oh, like a person you've never met from another country standing on a platform telling your wife there was an illness in your womb. Meaning from her womb there came illness. As if someone were born with a congenital condition. That's my son. My wife stands in another country with a lady from another, from another country, same platform. And, and what she said was, the, the Lord is healing. The Lord will heal. There's a condition in your womb. You say, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. She's, she leans into love. She hears the voice of the Holy Spirit and says something that is the heart of God for that moment. Now, she said some other things, too, that were pretty cool. We'll hear them later. But... Prophecy can be very, very simple. In other words, it doesn't have to be super mystical or super like, whoa, you just said something, you know. It can be very, very simple. But it is, the, it is you, if you understand what we're doing, we are stepping into that river of the love of God and the expression of the Spirit. And the, and the first and most beneficial and the fountainhead thing, the, the ignition is to begin to prophesy, to speak the heart of God. Because, listen, I don't have time to explain this, but it's just true. I think I've said it before. Nothing happens until somebody talks. 
in the kingdom, in the Bible, and in the kingdom, in the dominion of the Spirit, for God's purposes to advance, nothing happens till someone says something. And that's why immediately at Pentecost, they began to speak, right? And the purposes of God began to be advanced. You, now, if those of you that, have, that are very bible start doing it. Start doing it, Rob. Go through your Bible. What, what ha- before, before anything happens, someone says something, even at creation. Nothing happens till the, till the voice of God is released. Can these dry bones live? Not till you say something, Ezekiel. You better, God, I don't know. Well, then you prophesy and keep prophesying. When, and after he said stuff, stuff happened. And that's what happens as we, as we say, Lord, help me to speak. I'm just going to speak what I feel the heart of God to a person or to a time or to a scenario or to an illness, or to a circumstance, and then what you will see most often is other things will begin to, there will be uh, collateral, or um, exponential, or whatever word I'm trying to say, there will be other manifestations. Prophecy, when you begin to prophesy, and I'm going to say, I'm going to loop, now don't get upset, just understand where I'm going there, because it's vocal expression, there's a, the twin vocal expressions are tongues and prophecy. In fact, Peter called the expression of tongues, he called that prophecy. That's the Spirit of God speaking through a person. Now, Paul will separate that when it comes to ministry to others. We don't teach in tongues. You're a nut job if you do that. That's what Paul said. Don't be a nut job. Okay? You, no one understands you. You need an interpreter. Pray that you might interpret or let somebody else do it. Otherwise, prophesy. Speak to in a language they understand. But when we are just in prayer and in declaration... These two, these two gifts manifest all the way, and that's why we see it in Acts 2 and 10 and 19. These things began to, in, 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 in Ephesus, nothing happened. Nothing. They had 12 believers in this massive city until Paul lays hands on them, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy, and then one of the greatest revivals in the region breaks out for like three years. Because they began to speak because God says, let there be. We eagerly desire, eager, earnestly. I like earnest. I've, I've, there's other versions that say eager, and that's fine, but eager sounds like, I don't know. But earnest has to, I can feel that word down here. Earnestly desire the manifestation of the Spirit, His power and His influence in your midst. And especially, and immediately, at first, right away, that you begin to speak. Speak His heart, speak His purposes to others. And then believe, believe, for all the, un, the, I will say, an unlimited expression of the Spirit. Our response to, our attitude toward the manifestation of the Holy Spirit cannot be caution or openness. It cannot be anything less than eager, or pardon me, earnest desire. That is the command. Do we have an amen? Amen. amen. Now, here's what I would like to do for the next little bit. I would like us to to uh, first of all, just lean into the love of God. I want you to hear, I want you to hear in your heart that the Lord loves you. I want you to lean into his love for you and lean in, well, just lean into his love for you and love for those around you. But just lean into the love of God. And then from there, I'm going to specifically ask you to, to, to decide. This is an imperative, which means you decide. I'm going to ask you to decide to desire. To stir up your desirometer. Your hunger to decide. You know how you get. You know how you get hungry for a food. You look at a menu. 
right? You literally, you fill your imagination with what you want. So begin to think about, begin to think about the manifestation of the Spirit and its benefit and its power, its pricelessness, its all of those things, okay? And then after that, we'll, we'll, we'll pray, and we'll, we'll pray for folks to have initial expressions, and we'll, we'll let people, people, you'll begin to hear things from the Lord, and then we're going we're gonna to lay hands on some folks that need God to touch their body in healing, and we're just going to believe God for the manifestation of the Spirit. Amen.